0: Hi, everyone. Drew Prode here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. We're doing a special episode for you every day this week, including today, on topics, ideas, concepts that will help you navigate the challenging times that we're in. I can't tell you how many times in the last two weeks, ever since California and many other states have been on lockdown with the coronavirus and COVID-19, I've had a friend text me saying, I'm going through major anxiety right now. Do you have any suggestions? And I do because I'm lucky. I have so many incredible speakers, teachers, authors, experts, scientists that come on my podcast and share not just ideas and concepts, but practical ways that we can bust through anxiety and other difficult emotions and feelings. And today we are rerunning an episode, a special episode that we did uh, maybe about a year ago that a lot of people didn't hear because it was launched during the summertime. And it's with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Dr. Joan Rosenberg is going to help us bust through anxiety sadness, anger, shame, embarrassment and other difficult emotions that we deal with. And you know what's really interesting is that she has a completely new take and different take on anxiety. She says that anxiety is caused by unexperienced and unexpressed feelings. That often when we use the word anxiety, even though it's a common word that we use in society, it may not always be what we're actually feeling. So how do we take our anxiety open it up and see what's underneath so that we can get to the root cause of what's going on in our life. That's what today's interview is all about. Joan has written a book. It's called 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. You can find it in the show notes, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. I can't think of a more important time to have this conversation to start off the interview i asked joan to talk about the eight unpleasant feelings and what they are here we go can you tell us what these eight feelings are and how is our success tied to the ability to move through these feelings
1: absolutely the the eight feelings are sadness shame helplessness anger vulnerability embarrassment disappointment and frustration so the first question that somebody might ask relative to that is so why those eight and then you'll see how it ties to success
0: yeah tell us why those eight
1: why those eight because they're the most common spontaneous everyday reactions to things not turning out the way that we feel like we need or the way we want so if you think about going through your daily life and things, and you know, whether it's asking somebody out for a date, it's asking somebody for a promotion, it's saying, I love you, or I want to spend more time with you, it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum we go, or I was disappointed about something you did or didn't do, and then it, these same eight, eight feelings or feeling states come up repeatedly.
0: They're conflict and intersection with reality. With reality. We wanted something to happen. It didn't. Didn't a feeling mustard. Right. Right. So
1: that and why it gets in the way of success is because when people don't want to experience these feelings, they won't. Per, they won't take risks in their life. So I. I. I won't. I have things I, I want to say to people, or I have gr- ideas I want to share, but I'm too afraid of public speaking. So I won't take the risk to put myself out there because I don't want to feel. It's not the. It's not. The action itself is because of the feeling outcome.
0: I want to avoid this feeling. What can I do to stay away from it? Let's not take a risk. Let's not take a risk. And I think everybody can relate to that in some way in their life.
1: Right. And it doesn't matter the domain. It really doesn't. It could be going out and learning tennis. It could be talking to the boss. Talking to your kids. It doesn't matter. It's every single domain of our life. So for me, if someone has a tough time experiencing and moving through these eight feelings then it it really inhibits their life in lots of different ways
0: why is it so important you know when i read your book and i was watching your ted talks and i listened to you on a few other podcasts i thought of this uh uh quote um i don't know if it has an attribution but it's what you resist will persist Mm -hmm. what you accept you go beyond right you move through so if part of your work in helping people understand move through and experience these feelings is to first not label feelings as good and bad correct talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah no it's if if we look at the neuroscience findings over over the years and we look at evolutionary psychology part of the reason our feelings exist are for especially the un, what we would consider the unpleasant feelings are for protective purposes they're like a
0: smoke detector
1: yeah it's like, so there were warnings, there's a signal, stay away from that, right? So sometimes we take that too far. Uh, and, and that's probably, again, more related to when we were on the savannah as opposed to in the moment right now. But, but in, this, in this day and time, we do ha- still have to be mindful of those kinds of reactions that we have. So the, the anger, the disappointment, the sadness, whatever it might be, is a pushback. It's like, no, 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 that feels dangerous. It feels like a threat to me, so stay away. So for me, it's like if we shut down and try to disconnect or distract from the very thing that's designed to protect us, it actually leaves us feeling more vulnerable, more like we could be hurt as opposed to less.
0: It's almost like experiencing a sensation of pain in your arm right, and covering it up long term with some pain medication or opioids instead of thinking okay what is the root cause of this thing exactly. can i address it
1: exactly and so my thing is it's like let's let's understand that at those unpleasant feelings they're not negative and they're not bad they're actually there for protective purposes so let's stop calling them negative or bad because when we associate the language to that it actually evokes a state within us right
0: it's right? like a parent T- looking outside and saying, oh, today's bad weather. Right. And then now, all of a sudden, what happens when you label the day bad? Well, all sorts of feelings and emotions happen. You can't enjoy fun and have joy right. on a day that's bad. Right. So I want to start at the basics there and just what is the feeling and what's actually happening in the body when we're experiencing a feeling? Well, you
1: know, I, I actually love uh, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor's description of it, and that's also where the, the title of the book emanates from. And and what what she talks about is that when a feeling fires off or gets evoked, we have a na- kind of a natural reaction to something. You know, think think of I a stub I stub, stub my toe. We have a, an immediate reaction, kind of a sensation sort of thing. So, but let's do it now on a feeling level. So something we have, we're reacting to something. What ends up happening is that there's a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream, and that rush of biochemicals activates bodily sensations. And then there's a flush of those same bio- biochemicals out of the bloodstream in roughly an upper range of about 90 seconds. So that's where the, the 90 seconds idea comes from.
0: You call it a wave.
1: A wave, yes. And I was calling it a wave for years until I started reading the neuroscience where it was calling it a wave. It was great. So it was, it's just the beauty for me is what, what I was intuiting and doing naturally was the, the, all the research was supporting and and now i had a way to explain what it was that i had i was doing basically but the, so the key here is having people understand that most of us experience feeling emotional feeling by bodily sensation and and I had struggled to to understand over time, it's like, why is it so difficult for us to experience unpleasant feelings? It's because so many of us want to avoid it. I mean, that was true of me early in life. It's like I was trying to move away from probably disappointed and sad feelings, and so I did my own thing. And, and when the neuroscience started to come out, it was like, oh, two really important things here. Bodily sensation, is how most of us experience feeling. So it's not that we don't want to experience the whole range of what we're feeling emotionally. We don't want to experience the bodily sensation that helps us know what we're feeling emotionally. Mm. And if I could then help people tolerate that more effectively, then they would be able to stay present to their experience and then go take the risks they wanted to take to
0: pursue their life in fact when we experience some of those feelings there's often a response that happens back in our body to sort of suppress it we we feel something in our stomach and all of a sudden we stop breathing exactly and we get tight right right so there's there's
1: three main things i'd see immediately one is people hold their breath they tighten up or they swallow
0: Mm.
1: so it's an immediate reaction why think of it we're pushing something down again we never talk about feelings Coming down, we only talk about feelings coming up. So think body up. Body is the body sensation is feeding information to the brain proper. So, so the key here then is that I want people to understand that if they can ride one or more ninety uh, up to ninety-second, and the key is one or more, I'm not just talking about one wave. It could be multiple waves, one or more ninety-second bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings. that can go pursue anything they want in
0: life. Because that initial wave, if on un- unchecked in, like if we don't check in with it, right. That initial wave can lead to another series, another series in a bad moment, a bad, right. As people would define it, right. Putting my, uh, quotations yeah, up for those quotes, that are listening yes. air quotes, <laughs> bad moment turns into a bad, you know, uh, half hour, hour, day, week, and somebody's stuck in that sort of cycle for an entire, entire year or more.
1: Right. Well, and what people do is it's, it's understanding. So I want to make a clear distinction based on what you just said. People get the idea that, oh, no, come what are you talking about? Feelings last such a short time. They linger. They've lingered for days, weeks, months, or years. It's like, no, 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 no. It, your memory has lingered. It's your memory. And every time you rethink the same thing, or you you, you re-memory, if you will, you bring up the memory again, Mm -hmm. then you're activating everything that's associated with those memories, including the feelings. So now you're firing off the same approximate feeling that you felt the first time. And it feels like it's lingering because you keep on re-looping over and over the same thing.
0: And sometimes it could start with thought and sometimes it's just baked into the body into the default neural network, into our parasympathetic nervous system and the way that we operate which is all super, super fascinating. So the first part that you talk about being very important in this process is in the importance of labeling our feelings and why, why we need to understand the distinction between what feelings are. Can you talk about what some of the research says out there about why labeling is so important?
1: Yeah, the, the, really the, think of labeling a feeling as helping you stay centered, more centered and more calm. When when we label a feeling, what ends up part of what ends up happening is that now we're engaging our thinking brain in, in, into our experience, and when we're able to do that, we're actually able to modulate or manage our emotional state more effectively. And and the upshot of that is that we feel calmer, we feel more centered, uh, we feel like we can handle things. We can, as opposed to being reactive, we can be responsive. So so that we're not as impulsive, so it, it it actually allows us to to calm our ourselves down and here's the interesting thing I, I teach graduate psychology, and my the key focus of most of that is to teach them how to do psychotherapy. There's a key skill in that which has to do with the individuals reflecting a feeling back to the other person so Let's say you're saying you're anxious, and I talk a lot about anxiety in the book, but let's say you say you're anxious, and I don't really understand what you mean by that. So I ask you to dig a little bit further into it. And then by the time we're through the the discussion, you recognize that you're feeling a little sad or angry, and that that's really what's underneath that anxiety. And as soon as I say back to you, you know, well, it sounds like actually actually sounds like you're, you're angry in that situation. Often what ends up happening is I'll watch somebody's body just kind of go, "Oh, yeah, huh." Just kind of, they just kind of calm right down. So one of the effects of the labeling is a calming and centering experience inside the person themselves. Because somebody feels that they've accurately described
0: or understood What's what going they're going through.
1: through. Right. On both counts. One is, if I validate it for you, if you say it, I validate it for you, you now feel more well understood and you can validate it better for yourself. Got I mean, it. Right? How many times do you, are you in a situation or you've heard about situations where people grew up and you're not feeling that, Right. right?
0: Or, or, or how could you be feeling this, I'm feeling this. You're angry, well, I'm upset about this component. Sorry, so and was, there's not the acceptance of maybe where you are or what you're coming right,
1: from. Right, right, so when feelings are labeled, whether it's internally by ourselves or someone's helping us in that process, it helps calm and center us, super important. And then it gives us the ability to self-regulate even more effectively.
0: Sometimes I'll notice myself just driving or walking somewhere or thinking about something And I'm not even actively knowing that I'm thinking through a feeling. I'm just feeling something. I have thoughts, but they're sort of in the background and I feel a tightness in my chest or I feel something in my stomach. For those individuals that are there, how do they begin to turn that into a labeling of what they're feeling? Is it through a process of asking and answering questions? Is it journaling? How do you unravel the sensation in your body and attach it to a label?
1: That that's a, a great question, and I would say both are very effective to start asking the questions. Questions prompt our brain to go on the exploration journey, right? So questions are great, and the the better you get at asking good questions, the really you're going to live a much more effective life and a much more enjoyable life. Probably a topic for another. <laughs> it's a whole other topic, but the. Uh, But And journaling would be equally as effective, partly, again, because you're engaging your own mind to reflect on what's taking place. But what you can do is the body's a metaphor. So let's say it's a shoulder pain. Uh, Now, maybe you're playing tennis, and it's actually, we can just attribute it to playing tennis, and you just worked out a little too hard. Sure. On the other hand, if you hadn't been playing tennis, then you could ask the question, If we think about shoulder as metaphor when we talk about shouldering something then you can engage the body and it's like all right what is this body part trying to tell me
0: do i feel the weight
1: do i feel the weight of what i'm carrying emotionally physically or otherwise right so so you can start to engage those kinds of questions about what your body is literally trying to tell you a lot of people will Talk about the body as our subconscious mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it's a, again, or our, I, I like to use Dan's term, Dan Siegel's term, the non conscious mind. So it, but it, but yes, you can engage with the body and go, what, what's the metaphor here? What, what is it that is hurting? What, what's that role? What's that function of that body part? And how might it relate to what's, what I'm going
0: through? And what's great in your book is that you have the description of each of those eight that you had mentioned earlier, the eight unpleasant feelings. And oftentimes I think I'm feeling one, but Mm -hmm. actually when I read the description, I'm feeling something else. So Mm. just even knowing the description of the different words, you can know, is this anger, is this this, is this this that. Right. So in your book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, it it came out of the desire to answer two questions for yourself. The first one was, what makes it so difficult for people to handle or experience unpleasant feelings? And the second one here that I have in my notes is about confidence and how do unpleasant feelings relate to having confidence. What's the connection between those two questions?
1: Well, for a long time, I didn't know the answer to that question. (laughs) But again, over time, what I realized is that when people find it difficult to experience and, and move through these eight feelings or they are into much more avoidance, as I said earlier, they won't take the risks to pursue things that they want in life. And, and what I also found, true is that they don't feel as capable in the world. So if they want to go out and, and meet somebody new or just, just engage in whatever way in the world, they won't engage as fully. In essence, because they're afraid of the emotional outcome.
0: There's things you want to do, and you'll hold yourself back. Exactly. All the time. All the time. I think anybody who's listening now, the question for them is that in what ways are you holding yourself back? The things that you want to pursue, the things that you want to try, the things that you want to give love and attention to, it's often we think of other people or situations holding us back, but nobody holds us back more than ourselves.
1: And, and the thing, Psychologically. Exactly. And, but what I want people to really understand is that it's not the thing that they're afraid of. Like putting my work of art out there. That's not what they're afraid of. Or public speaking, or we could name, or playing tennis, again, we could name anything. It's the emotional outcome of the thing they're afraid of. So the link to confidence for me, as I began to understand it, is that when we don't experience and move through these eight feelings, we're not gonna live life fully. We're not gonna pursue the things we want. We're not gonna go after the dreams and aspirations we have, all of that. And we won't feel confident because we're not even centered and ground in our own being when we're engaged in
0: that level of avoidance. If you don't have the ability to cultivate that confidence inside of you or not suppress it in the first place, right. because sometimes people think, how can I get confidence? How can I get it? And the real question is, well, are you suppressing it? <laughs> because confidence is there. Right. Confident, right. Yeah. A,
1: yeah. Well, it's... I would say yes and no to that question. Yeah, please. Yes. So confident, uh, the thing here is to understand that confidence pr- primarily is an inside job. Yeah. So it's not going to come from the outside. You know, in my early life, because I was exquisitely shy, and I would see all my peers over off to the side, I would go, well, how do I get what they have? If I'm next to them, I mean, will it like, can I get it just by being next to them? That's not the way it works at mm-hmm. all. And And so... It's understanding, and my definition of confidence is it's the it's the capacity, if you will, to handle the, um, it's the deep sense that you can handle the
0: emotional outcome
1: of whatever you face or whatever you pursue.
0: Not that you can actually do the thing, because sometimes people think, oh, that person has confidence, they went on stage and they sung a great song. Confidence is whatever way it goes, you can handle it. Right. And it's the deep sense of that. So the deep sense comes
1: from repeated experience and then ultimately it being embodied in you. So it's not that I have confidence and then I go take a risk, take some kind of action. It's not that I have confidence and then I speak up. It's that as I speak and through speaking, I gain confidence, and it's through the action-taking or through taking action, whichever way you want to say it, that I gain the confidence. That's the only way it happens, and then it gets embodied, and then we have the deep sense, and
0: then we can go after whatever we want. Because our body, as you said earlier, is just trying to protect us. Our mind and our body is trying to protect us, so it's learning that I took this step, it's okay. I can take now two steps. Right. But if you try to develop the confidence before the doing, oh, I need confidence before I go out and start my own business or do the thing or ask the person out. It's, it's like, that's the wrong framework. Correct. Correct. That's not the, it's not wrong, but it's, it's, it's not going to lead in, to six. It's, it's
1: right. It's, in, it's ineffective. You yeah. won't, you actually won't gain the confidence, that deep sense, that deep sense knowing that, that even if stuff doesn't turn out the way you want, that you can handle it.
0: So let's talk about your formula.
1: So again, what I wanted to do was to make it easy for someone to move towards their experience as opposed to away from it, and because I began again, it's understanding that our our capacity to experience and move through those eight feelings, for me, is the foundation of confidence. So without that, we don't feel as grounded and centered as I said before. It's, we've got to be able to do that. So so the, the formula kind of emerged. and it, it, So the, the formula is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds.
0: One choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. Right.
1: One choice, awareness, not avoidance. So I want people to move towards what's unpleasant. I don't want them to back away from it. So the, the more you can stay consciously aware of what you are experiencing – and you are willing to move into it, through it, embrace it, whatever you want to call it, the more you're willing to stay stay in that awareness, the healthier you're going to become.
0: If you hear the smoke detector, don't run out of the house. Just start being aware and start smelling. <laughs> right, right. Is there a fire? What's going on exactly? <laughs> exactly Just have a right. curiosity of, okay, something is going on. Let me pay attention.
1: Absolutely. In fact, a great word. The single best thing you can do is to be curious.
0: Yeah versus I feel this feeling of, I remember many, many years ago, I was listening to a tape of uh, Tony Robbins, and he was saying, I used to get these butterflies before going on stage, and my meaning of those butterflies was, I'm not ready. And then I, through his own methodology and his own framework, it's like, I get butterflies, it's like, oh, I'm excited to do this, right? right. I'm excited. So the, the reframing and the openness to step out of our default, neural network and how our body is relating to things and just change it over to awareness and curiosity. Absolutely. hundred percent. Maybe I don't know what this means. Let's pay attention. So okay. that's the one choice. So that's the one choice.
1: The aware- awareness is the key. Awareness and curiosity. The second of the eight feelings, which I've named, i happy to name them again if you'd like.
0: Yeah, that'd be great actually. Okay.
1: Sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, And frustration so those are the eight feelings everyday spontaneous reactions to life and then the third is the 90 seconds and the 90 seconds has to do with your capacity to ride one or more bodily sensation waves of up to that kind of upper range of 90 seconds most feelings don't even last that long so so that that's the one choice the eight feelings 90 seconds you can do that you can stay present to the feeling and life
0: changes, and you can create riding that wave. You can create a new possibility on the on the other side of things. Right, right. It's uh, it's amazing that it's that simple, and yet it's the hardest work that's out uh,
1: there. Say yes. Well, it can be, I, I, but I don't want to frame it as hard. Actually, uh, it's uh, it can be <laughs> some. It can, it's be challenging. Challenging. It's it can be challenging. It's been challenging, absolutely. But it's the, simple. Yeah, it is simple. Simple
0: so- doesn't mean difficult. I mean, you know, hard, like challenging doesn't mean Complex,
1: right? Right. No, it's the the. I've had many people say, "Well, it's really simple, but it ain't so easy," (laughs) right? So it's yeah, it is. It is simple. the The concept is simple, and the truth is, and this is what is. It was mind boggling to me, Drew, to realize and to kind of have that click of awareness of, "Oh my God, it's the bodily sensation that people don't want to experience." Mm. And and but I didn't have that and couldn't have had that understanding until all the neuroscience came out. Mm. So it's, it's again the key here around that 90 seconds is is that what you want to do is to stay present to the bodily sensation because that's the thing that helps you know what you're feeling. At, let me take that one step further. The, just so that people have a, a, what a, what I'm talking about, think of um, think of the heat and the redness that comes into a chest or a face when someone's embarrassed. Or think of kind of a drop-down sensation at the chest when someone feels sad or disappointed. Or, a, a, you know, I've had people talk about a burning sensation in their forearms or at the back of their neck when they're angry. So part of it becomes what uh, someone's ability to notice in their own bodies how, what, and where they experience what they're feeling Bodily sensation, so that they can then interpret and understand. Oh, this is the emotional feeling I attach to that. So, but it, then they then they can do it, and then, like I said, it's for me, it's the foundation
0: of confidence. And do you feel that it's sometimes present to just uh, that it, that it's helpful to as you're being aware and present to what you're going through? I, I know that I talk to myself a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say, okay, where, where's that? Fe- okay, what am I feeling? What am I? Okay, my stomach is tight. And I'll do it all the time. Even sometimes, if I'm out there, if people feel awkward about it, just put in your headphones, and people just think that you're talking on the phone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, okay, I've, I feel my stomach feels tight. Okay, what was that? Th- what was I thinking about right beforehand, or what was I worried about? And I'm just sort of describing out the nature of what it is that I'm that I'm that I'm going through. Totally fine.
1: Totally fine. There's also an exercise in the book that I call the How What Where exercise. Yeah. Where literally I kind of walk you through the the eight feelings so that you can start to notice how, what, and where in your own body.
0: But you do feel it's important that as somebody's working through it, that they label what they're feeling. I
1: would, so yes, if they can get to that point.
0: Pick one of the ones, it, the eight. It, it, that it, start there. with
1: the eight, yes. yes. Start with the eight, and and if they can't, don't worry about it. If you're used to shutting down, then it's going to take some time for you to wire back up. So if, if you're very practiced, and I've given many lectures where uh, and uh, and the lectures stand out. Oftentimes, they're with men who've practiced shutting down feeling. But think, but you've got to think of this: when you when we shut down bodily sensation, we disconnect from feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, men get trained to do that, right? Right. Be so, strong. Be a man. Don't cry. Right. Right. Shut down on your experience. So understand: if you can't do it immediately, that there's nothing wrong. Just stay present to it. It will change, and the more you have an interest in noticing how, what, and where you experience it, the more that's going to start to come to you. So it's it. It takes sometimes. It will take practice, and you might not notice it exactly where it is for yourself right away. When you can notice it, give it a name, and then and then see if you can attach like you do. You're reflecting where this come from. What was I thinking about before this? What stirred this up for me? then you can engage in the curious questions to, to pull it all together for yourself.
0: A lot of people deal with struggle with fear and anxiety. Right. How can someone handle their anxiety better and experience less of it using this methodology?
1: <laughs> the interesting thing for me is I really look at anxiety quite differently. And, and I see anxiety as a cover for the eight unpleasant feelings. And and when people start to use the word fear and anxiety, m- my brain goes on a whole different ride. So, so part of it is I want people to understand that the use of both fear, the word fear and anxiety or feeling anxious are misused and overused.
0: All the time in society, the way that it's like, yes. fear of pub- talk, talk, right. talk a little so, bit more so about
1: that. So the fear of public speaking is the most common one and that's what they say is the most common what well, the biggest fear, right, for people. But if you look at the way psychology defines fear, generally speaking, it's danger in the moment right now. Mm-hmm. Tiger's right behind you, right? So fear of public speaking, there's no, for most of us, there's no danger in the moment right now to be on that stage and speak up. So fear's not accurate. Stop using the word. If you're not in danger right now, Stop using the word fear. Why? Because when you use that word, you're activating the experience within yourself. Let, let's find a better word. Well, anxiety would be the next most logical option. Ang- anxiety from psychology's point of view is diffuse apprehension of the future. Well, fits better, except if I asked 10 people what they meant by feeling anxious, I'd get 10 different answers. So it's too vague. Just like the word I'm stressed is too vague. I have no idea what you mean by that. Or I'm freaking out. I have no idea what you mean by that either, right? So, so where words are vague for me, I, I tend to dig deeper. So, so then the, the next most logical option is in my mind is that when most people use the word anxiety, they're feeling vulnerable. And what's interesting is in those situations, if I say that to them, then again, that, calm, that kind of calming down response I'll watch that happen. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm actually feeling vulnerable. But it changes their state and it changes the way they they see things now. So it makes a difference in terms of their their own sense of their own ability to handle something.
0: Oh, I was just feeling vulnerable. Okay, got it. Whereas anxiety feels like this sort of cloud that's like a little bit of opaque and what does it mean? It's just this general sort of existence that's there. Right. And you can't really hold it any particular way. You can't dig deeper. Unmanageable. It's unmanageable. And it's, I mean, when people feel anxious, it's often associated with, I feel overwhelmed. Right. I'm totally overwhelmed. Right. Well, we don't even know where to start. We don't even know how to parse these feelings. Right.
1: Right. And the other interesting thing for me around anxiety is if it's not vulnerability, it's one or more of the other seven feelings. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I, I talk about it, it's a, for me, it's a great story in the book. I was working with two graduate students, and and they both complained of high anxiety. And I just didn't want to disrupt too early. <laughs> so about five or six weeks in, I said, you know, I'm not so sure I believe in anxiety in the way that you do. Would you be willing to play? And so they were totally open because they hated feeling anxious, and, and through the process, so it's a, this is a spoiler alert, <laughs> through the process what I did is I said, if I took all the words for anxiety away from you, what would you really be feeling? So the, one, the first one then came up with sadness, the other one came up with anger. I said, great, now now go back to that experience and replace your word anxious with sad, you for sad and the other one anger. So they did. I said, are you still feeling anxious? They went, no. I said, and was anybody else involved in this exchange where you felt anger or sadness? And both of them nodded yes. There were other people involved. I said, did you happen to say something about your anger or something about your sadness to the people that were involved? No, no. And then these huge smiles. It's just like they just lit up. It's like they had a recognition. That the reason that they were feeling anxious is because they didn't want to feel sad or angry, respectively, and because they hadn't spoken up. Mm. So the other way I look at anxiety, beyond being a cover for the eight unpleasant feelings, is that anxiety occurs where there's unexperienced and unexpressed
0: feeling. Something ha- you're you're feeling something inside. It ha- it doesn't have an outlet or an understanding or an expression. Right can be with others often, or or, or yourself. You don't do anything about it, and so the mustering and the bubbling up of it, which is so, by the way, thank you for that story. I think those stories really make it real for people to parse out and see that when you unravel it and you take each of the strings and you kind of put them aside, you can kind of see what their root issue is.
1: Right, right,
0: right. so helpful. Otherwise, we get stuck into, again, this cloud Of anxiety, stress, which are really unfortunately, there's something so much deeper and they're kind of a little meaningless in terms of getting us to the solution. Right. Right.
1: So so what I would say to people is that if you tend towards anxiety, notice and be truthful to yourselves or to yourself about how comfortable you are experiencing and moving through those eight feelings and Expressing those eight feelings, you can do your own self-check.
0: Mm. Beautiful, I love it. Uh, I want to talk about a few of the things on on that. So s- sometimes we, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, but sometimes these unpleasant feelings become strong memory can ultimately lead to if we have repeated patterns can be strong memory centers yep. in the body, right and one of the big sort of words over the last couple of years has been the word like trigger, you know, people mm-hmm. getting triggered by mm-hmm. different stuff and having through that. Um, what do you think are the steps for releasing painful memories and old stories that are baked into our, our body? And that if somebody's trying to go through the one choice, eight feelings in 90 seconds, and just feels like they repeatedly are dealing with that, um, that unpleasant wave how can they begin to unravel some of those old stories and, and, and um, memories in their body?
1: I love the question. Your question is centered on what I call disguised grief. And for me, there's, there really is a, I don't, I don't know if I want to call it a method, an approach, if you will, to dealing with disguised grief. But, but let me kind of dig into that a Please. little bit first. When I hear someone talking about uh, being resentful, bitter or holding a grudge or they're cynical or they're pessimistic for me those are grief signal words and and immediately what I know is something's going on in their life that feels painful that's not resolved and their use of those words
0: is their signal to me at least that there's grief underneath they may not know there's grief underneath but you sort of see the smoke, and you know there's fire somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, people learn their words, then they can
1: they can go. Oh, wait a minute. All right, unresolved grief. I gotta I gotta dig into this. And and so there. I think I named like fourteen or fifteen what I call grief signal words in the book. That those are four or five of them right off the bat. <clears throat> and and that takes me to the second part of what I call disguised grief. And. That, again, mostly is tied to difficult memory, difficult difficult life experiences. And the second part of it is that I think what people are grieving over are is that they're grieving over what they got and didn't deserve. So that's the bad stuff. Think chaos, abuse, drug-addicted parents, whatever it might be. Uh, it's not it, none of it's good, or they are grieving over what they deserved and didn't get. Think the good stuff: consistent praise, consistent support, somebody showing up at, at ball games or cheerleading competitions, or it doesn't matter what it is. It's but it's on the the element of you know things that are praiseworthy. The praise was ignored, all that kind of stuff. It's grieving over what never was, which means the life circumstances, the facts and life circumstances of your early life. Grieving over what is not now, so it would be facts and circumstances of what, what's happening for you now, and then grieving over what may
0: never be. All of that comprises disguised grief. It's, it's, it's powerful because then when you know that that's the case, then you can go to the next step.
1: right. Right. So grief, again, it's part of my framework. The way I look at grief is that it's encompassed at least by the experiences of sadness, helplessness, anger, and disappointment. Just grief proper. You know, not disguised grief, just grief on its own. Disguised grief is just what I named. The the two different kinds of categories of that. And the, the way then to work through it this, and it's outlined in the book. I talk about a kind of a grief reset protocol, and and it's using the mnemonic or the word grief as the as the key to remember. So the the G is grieving, and it's grieving over those five categories that I just named. The R is to identify a particular memory to work with, and then the the I is to inquire more deeply. And the essence of people making their way through these experiences is to make sense of what they went through. And lots of times I think we loop over and it, then it feels like feelings linger for us when we don't resolve and make sense of what we've been through. So when I'm talking about making sense, I'm talking about a, a particularly understanding the impact and the meaning of, that an experience had for somebody over time. The point at which it occurred as you aged and now. So it's allowing yourself to really reflect on, on what the, all that meant for you. Then once they've made sense of that impact and meaning, it's to extract the good. So it's like, what, what, what good came out of this for me? And so, what did you learn, and and how did you use it to your advantage? You know, for somebody, for instance, who grew up in a chaotic household, often stays in school longer and achieves more. So, bad circumstance, difficult life experiences, but it led to a skill set that allow, allowed you to advance in life. So, there's good that came out of the bad, and 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 there's, a, you know, there's most bad experiences in in quotes most bad experiences are difficult life experiences we can extract something positive that came out of it
0: the s- spiritual teachers and other individuals say that that's the primary reason that we're here if we didn't have that right wound right we wouldn't be present to those circumstances and be able to put attention to it
1: right right the, the wound or the pain is the portal to our growth it
0: yeah. is yeah. the portal yeah uh as you're sharing it reminds me of uh the relationship um, research-based relationship intervention for, for couples, the Gottman method, right. And inside the Gottman method, they talk about how if there's repeated anger or these feelings that are showing up against your partner, the real question is, what is the underlining resentment that was maybe never resolved? Right. Are you really upset at this particular thing, or did something happen when the two of you early on started dating or got married that just was never. Resolved internally with you right that the other person may not even know exactly was a feeling or component that was there Right, but now this repeated pattern of anger unpleasant feelings that somebody's going through They're just the branches, but at the root was the tree trunk of this one situation When you felt your partner wasn't there for you early on and everything built on top of that, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So The disguised grief, um, and it's outlined deeply inside the book. I highly, highly recommend uh, checking that out and noticing those um, components. And many people who do reflective work on their own will see that they, as they're uncovering their feelings and trying to figure out what's going on, they'll naturally do this. But I often find that frameworks are really important because it just makes it a lot easier to to uh, make it a habit as part of your life it's not just happenstance oh i went to this conference and i felt amazing well what did you experience there what did you dig into what is the framework that you went through and how can you ultimately start teaching yourself uh, about those things
1: right right and from it yeah i mean I, my goal is that people can use this as a guidebook for themselves yeah
0: so through, through all your years of clinical practice, you found that speaking your truth is singularly the most important action you take to cultivate confidence, authenticity, and resilience. Tell us about speaking your truth and why is that?
1: Speaking up is so important because it actually helps us have a different experience of ourselves. It's the first line of defense with other people. It's like, no, stop, don't do that. So we have a sense of protection or no i i can't i can't join you to help you move your belongings or you know, your you know move your house whatever uh, I, I i don't have that time as opposed to ignoring that i don't have that time and going and doing it and then being resentful because of it it's so it's it's our first way of saying this is me i'm kind of putting that stake in the ground and i think what ends up happening i have no way to prove it or science maybe can is that I think it changes our molecules. It changes how we experience ourselves. And and it's entirely tied to, our, again, our ability to handle these eight unpleasant feelings. The reason we don't speak up is because we don't want to handle the discomfort of our own emotional discomfort, think eight unpleasant feelings, nor handle the discomfort of your emotional discomfort, simultaneously think the same eight unpleasant feelings. So it's all about the discomfort of emotional discomfort that prevents us
0: from speaking. Our own or the projection of, okay, if I speak up, this person might be angry. Right. They might be upset. Right. They might be this. They might be that. Correct. And do I have the capacity to tolerate that. that?
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it's the same eight unpleasant feelings. Same eight. No different. And what's interesting to me is that speaking up is not about getting the benefits that we want. So I might come to you and say, Drew, I, you know, I'd really like a raise. Or I'd love to hang out with you. You know, you seem like a cool guy. And you go, eh, not some, whatever. They go, no, I'm not going to do the raise. It's, I I have to be able to handle the the unpleasantness of whatever the response might be in order to engage you. But but it's not even about getting that. To me, the ben, the. Getting what we want when we speak up is the benefit. it is not the goal. So when therapists tell people to go speak up or anybody and, and when you're helping you when you're helping others solve problems, you say you've got to speak up in that situation. the reason you're telling that person to speak up is for their own
0: growth because normally what might happen is that somebody could hold on to the feeling of. I feel angry and unappreciated because my boss doesn't see me and they haven't given me the raise. And it's like, okay, well, when you speak up one way or another, you're going to get some information. Exactly. Is this the job you should be staying at? Right. Is there something in your own performance that can be improved? Right. Or did they simply forget? And now you're bringing it to the top of mind, or some other variation. Exactly, the growth comes through the speaking up, and that's what you're looking for. Because how you handle one thing is how you will handle other things. Uh, in your life. Right,
1: right. So, so what I want people to understand is the purpose of speaking up is to grow you. The benefit of speaking up
0: is getting what you want. It's a huge distinction for a lot of people, because then. It's like, I spoke up, and they didn't give me what I wanted. I'm not going to do it again. And No, 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 no. And no. that becomes a pattern for people. No,
1: the beauty of it is if you don't get it, it's another opportunity to grow by experiencing the same eight unpleasant feelings. It just can increase your confidence, not the other way around. Right. And what I have found is speaking up is like the super glue to confidence. If you can't do it, you're never going to have that, that deep sense.
0: So speaking up also relates to another area and it comes to this component of what other people think about me.
1: Mm-hmm. And we've done
0: a few podcasts on this in different ways and beliefs and, and that sort of thing. But often the information that people give themselves as to why they won't speak up, right. if you just listen and hear people's conversations or if you hear your internal dialogue is that what will people think of me? Right. When you hear that, when you hear somebody say that, what do people think about me, or I'm worried about what people think about me, so I'm not taking these risks and putting myself out there, what comes up for you?
1: Uh, vulnerability. All my, The way I see worry about, actually, I know I would make distinctions here too, it's not worry about what others are thinking about you, it's worry about what you think other people are thinking about you. There's even a nuanced distinction around mm-hmm. that. So, And the way I look at it is, if you are engaged in worrying about what you think other people are thinking, you're distracting yourself from feeling vulnerable. Come back to the experience of being vulnerable and drop the thinking part, because all the thinking part is, is a distraction.
0: That's it. And when you get clear that you're feeling vulnerable, then what, what, what happens from there?
1: The essence, this is the beauty of the whole model for me, Drew. The key is understanding that when you feel vulnerable, if you know that you can experience and move through those other seven feelings, you can handle the experience of vulnerability, this idea that I could be hurt. And, and it's knowing that you can handle those other seven feelings that allows you to choose into vulnerability. So I'm going to go learn the skill. I'm going to go ask the person out for a date. I'm going to go ask the boss for a raise. I'm going to go learn the skill of dancing, right? It, it's, it's because I'm willing to tolerate the other seven repeatedly in order to get to my goal so I can choose into vulnerability. So, so the worry about what other people think of you is just recast it as vulnerability. You can do the other seven. You're golden you follow me on that. I do, okay. I do.
0: And and in the sense of so the feeling of vulnerability comes up, the, the recognition and the awareness that I can walk through the other seven, the the wave is there, the re- and and then going back to um you know the, the one choice, a feelings in ninety seconds, you're in that space and is it a is it a mental thing? Is it the breathing through it? You know, walk us through the actual components what, of when what, you're feeling those.
1: Yeah, no, it would be. Well the first part of it is breathing through it. Slow your breathing down Yeah, because that will center and ground you. It, it's an immediate calming response. So that would be the first step. The second is once you've done that and you can recognize what the feeling is, then ask yourself, be curious, ask yourself a couple questions. It's like, huh, to your point earlier, what was I thinking just before I felt this? What's What's going on for me right now? Huh, I wonder what this is attached to. So a couple quick questions can can not only the deep breathing can ground you but those couple quick questions can also center you even further. And then that's all it takes. By that time you're actually through the feeling. Mm. And now you now you've made meaning of it. And now you can use it for to make a decision, you can use it for expressing yourself or you can use it to take some kind of an action.
0: And it's usually through the feeling of it. And so many individuals have gone through this. I know I've gone through this. You have this big buildup because there's a suppression of a feeling, right? I'll give a perfect example. In my early career, I had a avoidance around, you know, like a difficult email. You know, I was in the client services business. I had started a company while I was in college and I'm both going to school and also building this company. And I'd get an email and I would, project upon it, just seeing the subject line that this is gonna be something difficult, heavy, maybe they're upset, maybe they're this, they're that. And I would torment myself by not addressing it right away. Feeling the feelings, projecting out all the the bad, bad situations. What if they don't like me? What if I get fired? What if I get this, this, that, whatever it might be. And you open it up, and even if it was the client wasn't happy with something, it's like, okay, that wasn't that bad. This is what needs to be done. It's the awareness and addressing the actual specific situation and feeling it versus the suppression, which just keeps that, that uh, unpleasant feeling going and going and going because it's not been addressed.
1: Right, right. There's actually a, a concept called thought suppression. And, and so it's, it's, I'm not going to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, and the not I'm not going to think about that actually exacerbates the
0: situation. I often think about that when people say I don't have time to deal with that. Right? Right? I'm not going to deal with that right now. I don't have time to think about that. It's like as if you can just turn your mind off, you which that feeling is going to be there. Yes, right? Yeah. There's all these phrases that we use yeah, right. to Act like we're distancing ourselves from something unpleasant, correct? But the fastest and most direct pathway forward is to actually embrace it, right? On that side, going back to the question that I asked about the book, I want to just touch on imposter syndrome. Um, can you describe it because not everybody's familiar with the term, right? Describe it in the way that most people talk about it, and how do you think about it, and how is it related to these? Uh, one choice, eight feelings, ninety seconds, and what we process.
1: Well, the the most people will talk about imposter syndrome as the, that that they they're engaged. It's usually often used when people are engaged in a like a work setting. So so we hear it more often there than in life because most people most people don't walk in life and go. I feel like an imposter. It's, it's relative to to what their career is, and, and usually
0: a leap that somebody might want to take.
1: Right. Or, they, or they've started in a field. Yeah. So, I mean, I can remember when I first started, I probably had that sensation. It's like, am I really, am I a fraud here? Yeah. Am I, do I really have the skills mm. to do what I'm doing? So, underneath the question is, do, do I really have what it takes? Do I really have the skills to do what I'm doing? But many people will use it when they're actually highly skilled and highly competent in an area. And they'll still call themselves an imposter. Mm. And I I think that that comes about for two main reasons. One is someone's not speaking the truth about themselves. So nobody really knows them. It's too much privacy, too much guardedness. And and so when, when you come up to me, if I'm the one that's doing it, and you come up to me and you say, hey, wow, great job, or that was really cool, or what something on that order in my head the next response is yeah but if you only knew the real me right right how many people say that
0: how many times do people belittle compliments that they get from other individuals right
1: right so the first part of that is if they're saying if you only knew the real me it's because they're not speaking up enough the second part of it is they dismiss compliments and for me, compliments are super important. And I, I have a nice long section in the book about this, but the essence of it is, is that a compliment is a reflection of you back to you. It's like a mirror. So it's not, I'm not pulling it out of the blue, out of a vacuum someplace, and going, oh, here, Drew, have a compliment. It's because I've had an engaged experience with you or of you that I go, hey, that was, that was a great conversation. Loved it. Or loved hanging out
0: with you. And when you reject it or you belittle it, it's almost like you don't internalize the, you, right. res, the receiving of it.
1: Right. You never allow yourself to absorb it. And for me, compliments, it's... Uh, it's like varnish over stain. It seals goodness in, mm. or or for women, it's the top coat on the nails. Right, it seals something in. It seals goodness
0: in. So for anybody that's listening that sees that they do this, dismissed they have this compliments, pattern, right? Dismiss compliments. Um, how can they use awareness and? and sort of the themes that you talk about to break that pattern.
1: Well, there's one other other piece to it that I want people to understand, and then let me respond to that. When we take in compliments, genuine compliments, it allows us to update our self-image. So if we do two things, we express ourselves more if we've been guarded, And we start to absorb and take in, really take in, the compliments we're given. Both of those help us update our experience ourselves and update our self-image, which then allows us to feel more confident and go out in the world in a whole different way. This goes
0: back to the thing that you were talking about, which is that you have to put yourself out there to actually get the confidence in the first place. So in your first, you talked about two things, you talked about expressing yourself more. So if there's an idea, a theme, something you want to do more of, the first question is, are you organizing your life and creating the circumstances so that you can express that, so that you can put out there that talent, that skill set, that vision, that trait that you have that you want to give more of? Are you actually in the doing? It reminds me of our our friend Marie Forleo, who writes a lot about business and and uh, helping women build businesses. So you you don't find your, per, you find your purpose in doing. Correct. You're not gonna sit in a room just by yourself right. and just all of a sudden come up with your purpose. It's through the doing and it's through the action that you get clearer and clearer about what your purpose is and how it can unfold.
1: Yes, definitely agree, definitely agree, yeah and i i'm going to try to come back you had another question in terms of the yes the, how do uh, we use
0: awareness about the about the compliments yes yes okay yes so so, so to go back to that question that I was asking you how would for for anybody that recognizes that they dismiss compliments right how can they break that pattern so that they can update their self image
1: the the easiest and fastest is simply to say thank you really it's there it is. It's, it's done now, well, I mean, it's just that's the starting point, and, and so even if you go, well, thanks. So don't do no dismissing responses in response to a compliment, because there's temptations to go, oh, it was nothing. I was just lucky. Oh, I maybe have a little bit of skill. But no, 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 none of those responses. They don't come out of your mouth. They just stay in your head. It just so the first response is simply. Thank you, even if it feels awkward to say that, then go home or go someplace and give yourself an opportunity to reflect and take it in. It's like, all right, my first my first thing was to say no I'm, I said yes, all right. What did that compliment really feel like or mean to me? Mm. So I don't want people to just then walk away from it and go fine it's I actually want them to engage in some self reflection and start to absorb it. There's an exercise at the end of that section about compliments where I actually have people kind of go through an exercise where they stack compliments in their hand. And then, and then ultimately bring them to their heart.
0: Mm. So it's I, re-
1: I really
0: want people to absorb them. And for anybody that's also wanting to improve their friendships, relationships, partnership, what is important for them to know about compliments and giving compliments?
1: Same, same thing. If you feel it, it, it I mean, it's uh, this was a lesson er, learned early in life for me. It goes back to my camp counseling days, and and that I w- children would often hang on me as a camp counselor, and and what I began to understand, I was I was eighteen years old, eighteen nineteen, but the the experience of of the The kind of um, innocent, just attaching. It's like, I want to hang around you, right? We have so much fun when we're around you kind of a reaction. It taught me an immense amount about love and compliments. It's like, if I love this, this feels so good to me. Just this unmitigated, playful, engaged exchange in life. It's like, what would it mean if I did that for other people? If I love this, other people are gonna love this. So what you want more of, you give more of. So it's so then it's so you give more love if you want more love. You give more compliments if you want and more compliments. And when you notice
0: that somebody might not be <clears throat> taking in your compliment. Right. Do you ever in that moment, if it feels right to say, Hey, like, just sit with that for a second. Uh, yes, yeah. Like, I'm, you know, yeah. Don't dismiss that. Yeah, that is something really special you just did.
1: Right, right. Because it dismisses it actually dismisses the compliment giver. Yeah, and their reality when you dismiss the compliment. Mm. So you're not only dismissing the, your own reality; you're dismissing the reality of the person who's giving the compliment. So, so my thing is, yes. Please, if you experience it. What a gift to give other people is to compliment them.
0: I want to end on the topic of resilience. Hmm. It's a big word in the last few years, and we talk about it in so many different capacities. What does resilience mean to you, and how do you think about it in the framework of what you teach in your book?
1: I start thinking about resilience as first the foundation of those eight unpleasant feelings.
0: And our ability to work to move experience them, and move, move through, through them.
1: yeah, right, so the one element of resilience is to be able to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings. second element has to do with your capacity to speak up and express, so that's going to make a huge difference in your ability to bounce back, and resilience is this whole idea of bouncing back, and but my thing is I want people to bounce back further than where they first started, so so. Those are the first two to be able to experience and express the full range of what we feel. The uh, others have to do with uh, sometimes taking action makes a difference. So if I serve others and and I go for uh, helping people in a way that it's like say I, let's say I feel kind of down and out, but I go help somebody else. That that kind of taking action in the service of someone else. Can help us be more resilient, but the the broadest brushstroke for me around uh, developing resilience and I it is it, it we can learn it and we can learn to be much more resilient is to think about the attitudes that we hold because I think so much of resilience is if you will attitudinal or belief driven. So, for instance. Uh, do I have the capacity to handle change? A lot of people don't like change, and my thing is I want people to be flexible and adaptive in the face of change and and that's more of where when I'm working with a client that's more of where my focus goes. It's like I know routine is important stability is important, but I
0: want you to have the capacity to handle change in the sense of like a growth mindset versus fix somebody who leans into change versus the first sight of even thinking that something's about to change, they lean back.
1: Right, right. So that would be one. Another, uh, in terms of an attitude, uh, that that I'm open to change, and I'm willing to be flexible and adaptive in the face of change. Uh, A second would be, uh, every life experience for me is a learning experience. So that doesn't matter whether I would
0: identify it as bad or good, I'm going to turn this into something I can learn from. That's a big one. So many people feel like they look... That life is bad or good, and it's like it's all learning, it's all growth.
1: Right. Uh, the capacity to ask other people for help is an it helps people be more resilient, which which I also see as a part of emotional strength. So that that's crucial. Uh, what there's, I mean, there's. I think the, I think I again I, I do a checklist at the end of the book. There's probably about twenty or twenty five different attitudes and actions you can take. Faith is another one. So people just turning to their own experience of faith. So it's really it, but think attitude, in addition to those other basics I named, as what's going to help someone be much more resilient in life.
0: Mm. Ah, What a beautiful and great and deep conversation! I think there's not one thing that's been mentioned here that people can't relate to in some capacity of their life, and I love how. You gave us the framework, and you kept on taking us deeper, but it comes back to the source of working through and moving through these eight original feelings. Uh, Dr. Rosenberg, thank you for being on our podcast. For our listeners who want to learn more about you and find your book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, uh, where can they go to uh, dig in?
1: Well, my website, drjohnrosenberg.com. The book is... Everywhere you get books, so it's on Amazon if you go to use Amazon as your source, or it's also in traditional bookstores, and it's in different places around the world as well. So, And you're uh, active on social uh, media? Uh, I'm active on social media, so Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, yes.
0: And there's a, a bonus gift that you have for the listeners?
1: With drjohnrosenberg.com forward slash gift. Yeah. yeah.
0: For anybody who's hearing these, can resonate to them, maybe a lot of unpleasant feelings are coming up in this conversation of even just how much i i often recognize like when people get clear just how mean they are to themselves sometimes just just how for not being able to handle situations better how you know there's a there's the world would be such a better place with forgiveness towards ourselves when it comes to things or anybody that can listen to your story and being told that when they were younger they were boring or they were too much this or that uh any words for those individuals
1: well, you're going to take me down the path of one more thing, please, if you don't please mind. No, that's so, why we're here. Okay, all right. And it's the a whole notion of harsh self-criticism. Yeah. And because I think it's one of the most destructive things we can do to ourselves. I really want people to put an end to it. And, and many might go, what are you talking about? I can't stop that stuff. And my response is, yes, you can. First off. The second is think of harsh self-criticism or all that negative self-talk as a thought hijack of unpleasant feelings. The same eight unpleasant feelings.
0: So one of those eight feelings takes root, hijacks your thoughts completely, and now you're stuck in that paradigm.
1: Uh, No, it's I felt something I didn't want to feel. I'll... And we don't have control over that we feel or what we feel. We do have control over how and what we think. So it's a little bit more complicated. Again, I this is such a central part of my whole thinking around what changes us, and how we can live better and fuller and more alive lives. The but when we when we engage in harsh self criticism, we're actually trying to move away from that unpleasant feeling and taking charge of it by beating up on ourselves. Mm. Allegedly creating the equivalent feeling, except it's not. It's far worse. Mm. And we do such damage to ourselves. So when I first start working with somebody, if they're engaged in that, one of the first things that has to go is how they treat themselves. That. Has to change because I can't get to all the good stuff if you're only willing to engage in the bad, in the in the destructive stuff. So, so I really want people to, to kind of grab hold of this one because it's super important to, to really put a stop to it and to understand your thought hijacking, your own unpleasant emotional experience every time you engage in harsh self-criticism. Just go back to the eight feelings reverse course the question you asked earlier what was i thinking just before i did this
0: can, and can, to do the work and to do the work to do the work on right right and breathe through it
1: right and and to the to kind of an ending comment again it's i'd probably say two things one is i want people to be able to experience and express the whole range of what they feel And then the second is to remember that if you can experience and move through one or more 90-second bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings, you can go pursue anything you want in life.
0: That's beautiful. And so well said. Dr. Rosenberg, thank you for joining us and sharing your wisdom on the Broken Brain Podcast. Thank you, Drew. It's been awesome.